Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with another episode. Today, I have with me Rocky Kumar. Rocky is the Senior Managing Director at State Street Global Advisors. And this podcast has become, I think, almost an annual event where I get to visit with her about some of the initiatives of State Street Global Advisors. So first of all, Rocky, welcome back. And thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks, Tom. It's always fun to be on your show. So Rocky, at the start of the year, we saw State Street Global have its annual letter to boards released by its CEO. And we had the publication of the ESG oversight framework for company directors, which is really aimed at demystifying ESG. I wanted to start off by asking, why is State Street so committed to ESG in its portfolio, but also in the broader investment community? Yeah. So when you think about ESG, I think you really have to step back and think about how risk keeps evolving, right? If you really want to get down to understanding why we're interested in ESG, you probably need to step back and think about how risk keeps evolving. If you think about before the financial crisis, risk systems needed to keep up and we changed them primarily for the financial community or the financial services community, but risk has continued to evolve. And ESG is a new type of risk. The reason it is becoming so important is because many of our companies' intangibles are accounting for the valuation of many of our companies. And by intangibles, it's things such as corporate culture, climate change, reputation, et cetera, which are not often on the balance sheet. And so these often tend to be seen as non-financial, but they actually do help create value and long-term value if managed correctly. These risks you're seeing, are they being driven by a group of stakeholders not traditionally valued or at least viewed by boards, such as customers, consumers, and the greater public as well? So I think there's a big confusion between stakeholder, shareholder, responsibilities and interests. I think what is important for asset managers, especially for state three global advisors, is our fiduciary responsibility. And fiduciary responsibility for us is about the long term. And when you think about the mission, and a few years ago, we rewrote our mission. And our mission is to invest responsibly to enable economic prosperity and social progress. So some may ask, why social progress as an asset manager? And when we went back to whose money are we managing? It's pension funds. It's sovereign wealth funds. These are clients who are managing for long-term returns. And their long-term is not just one, two, three years. They're like 10 years, 50 years. One of my clients told me, you know, I am managing for the kid who's born today, right? And so that's one of the reasons why what may be considered social issues do often play a role in our thinking. However, from a fiduciary perspective, what we keep focus on is financial materiality and research informing our decisions and our views on how we're going to approach an issue to ensure we're focused on value creation, not pushing values into our portfolios. 
I really appreciate the way you phrase that. And that really leads into the next question, because I wanted to flip it from risk and risk management to value and value creation. So why does State Street believe that addressing material ESG issues is really a good business practice and, more importantly, essential to a company's long-term financial performance? Right. So I think I like to explain this through an example, right? So in mid-2000s, when Pepsi was looking at its long-term strategy and it asked itself this question, what is the biggest threat to our business? It was not a competitor. It was health and obesity. That, which you would consider an ESG issue, was front and center when they started thinking about what the world would look like and that they needed to position themselves for success. What this resulted in was not that they stopped selling Pepsi, but that they started changing their portfolio and capital allocation was impacted, where they started buying up juice companies, branding their water, investing in innovation such as baked chips, low-sodium chips, things which we take for granted today, which was unheard of about 15, 20 years ago. It also started impacting their board. They brought on a nutritionist on their board. And so that, and at that time when they were going to that restructuring, yes, they underperformed from a short-term period against their competitor, but that's because they were going through a significant restructuring to position themselves for the long term. And Pepsi is a great example of how they made their strategy ESG aware and how they used ESG as an opportunity to build for the future and create long-term value. And since then, they've been outperforming their peer group. Is that the program that was known as Profits with Purpose? I believe it is, yeah. So, Rocky, I was fairly stunned to see the statistic of the following, that fewer than 25% of companies evaluated uh, by State Street had meaningful, identified, and incorporated and disclosed material ESG issues into their strategy. How are you and your colleagues at State Street really helping to improve this? Right. So, I think it obviously starts from an investment process to make ourselves and incorporate the right information into our decision-making process. And that could be either directly into the investment solution, or it can also be through engagement and voting, which is we call stewardship. And from a stewardship perspective, what we're trying to do is really bring these issues into boardroom, communicate to the board that risk has changed, your responsibilities are overseeing and managing risk and building strategy, and consequently, you need to start thinking about these issues because they're important to us as an investor. So we're bringing these issues into the boardroom. And I think outside of the boardroom, we're also from a market perspective, trying to raise awareness about the need for standardization across the market and playing a role as one of the leading investors and one of the top three investors in the world to actually facilitate that standardization. Rocky, one of the reasons I look forward to the podcast with you and the communications from State Street is the firm, yourself, and others are very generous with your tools. And this year, you've come up and out with a new tool that I alluded to, which is State Street's Oversight Framework for Directors. I was wondering if you might be able to describe the ESG Oversight Framework, why it was created, and what you hope to accomplish with it. Right. So this came about the framework we developed. Again, what we try to do is take complex issues and try to simplify it and demystify it for our board members. We go into engagements 
with the full confidence that our board members actually want to do the right thing and want to learn. Often our conversations with our board members have gone from, okay, I don't agree with you to, I understand ESG is important. It's important to you. We see the value in it. But how do you want us to address it? They're a little ambivalent about their role and what exactly they can do. So what we decided to do was try to simplify it and say, look, ESG is both a strategic issue and an operational issue for the business. And you know how to manage it because you've been doing this with financial information for years. So from a strategic perspective, Think of how you plan for things which are not in your control, such as interest rate changes or tariff changes. You have to scenario plan and you have to decide what the world's going to look like and be ready to pivot when you need to, depending on milestones or what you're seeing in the marketplace. The same to do with things like climate change, right? All of it may not be in your control. Some of it may. And you need to then accordingly think of it as something you need to plan around. And then there's something which is operational. Operational issues are very much in your control. Again, from a financial perspective, you know how to do this. You set targets around sales. You set targets around returns. You set, And you manage, and you focus management on achieving these targets. And you also evaluate management against it. The same thing to do with ESG. There are things in your control which are inherent ESG issues, which are financially material inherent in your operations that need to be managed. And for that, we suggested as a starting point, as the floor, not the ceiling, to start using the SASB or Sustainable Accounting Standards Board metric or materiality map. You've created, or rather State Street has created, a scoring system to help boards understand how they can think through their individual ESG components. I believe it's called the R-Factor score, and I was wondering if you could just walk us through that. Yeah, sure. So R-Factor stands for, R stands for responsibility. And if I could give you a little bit of a history as to why we created the R-Factor. And when we started looking at ESG and ESG data and in trying to incorporate into our products and start acting upon it, what we realized is that there was low correlation between the data or the scores of companies from, by different data providers. So one may have scored one company at 60, another may have scored it at 40. And the reason for this difference varied, but it really comes down to the views and beliefs of the different data providers. How they, what they conceptualize as important influences their materiality, the information they collect, how they weight it, how they normalize it, etc. And that just didn't seem right. And the more we thought about it, it was more than a data problem. It was a standardization problem. We are not really arguing with each other about what is a good sales figure. Everybody knows that there are accounting standards to calculate and measure it and use it. Yes, there's a little bit, not 100% the exact same, but there are some rules of the road. That was missing when it comes to financially material ESG information. And that's what we found in SASB, the Sustainable Accounting Standards Board. With SASB, what they did was they brought together investors and companies to create a framework saying, all right, based on your industry, here are the five to seven key metrics that are inherent to your business that are financially material, and here's how you report against them and what to report. So what FASB did for account, uh, financial data, SASB wants to do for environmental and social data. However, companies were not reporting against SASB. 
So what we did is we actually said, let's use data from different data providers to help with the low correlation and lack of availability of information to get more consistency. We used four different data providers, but we identified what was material in the to calculate using the SASB framework. Simply put, one of the data providers sends us about 420 metrics. We've identified only 91 of those metrics as financially material according to the SASB standards. And based on your industry, we may only use 15 to 25, 30 metrics to power up a score. So that is how we've built the score. It's what the score does is it's actually built to address infrastructure weaknesses around data, ESG data. And what it does is it measures the performance of a company's business operations and governance as it relates to financially material ESG issues facing a company's industry. So how has this R-Factor score been received with your client base and perhaps the broader investment community as well? Yes. So I think both clients, why clients like it is they understand it. They're like, okay, you have in some ways demystified what you're considering as material. And I understand what you're doing. I understand what you're measuring for, right? And the financial materiality focus that we have in the score is very important because a fiduciary responsibility, even from our client's perspective, it gives them comfort knowing that this is material to a company's business. From a company perspective, they're also positively happy. I mean, they're also positive about this development. And the reason is because they say, okay, we understand you're using SASB. It may not be perfect, but it's good. We understand it. We can work with it. And I'll give you an anecdote where we spoke to a mid-sized company and we told them they had an average R-factor score compared to their peers and they were ecstatic. They're like, oh, great. You know, we don't have an army of people. We don't have the budget to hire a lot of people and figure this out ourselves. So what we did is we just used common sense and said, okay, this is important to our business. And we started disclosing. We do very little disclosure and we put out some information and you're telling me that resonated and we're not bad. We are good and we can work with that and we can actually improve that. And that's exactly what we were hoping to do with our factor, which was helping create sustainable capital markets where companies are providing this information in a consistent manner, like they do financial data. So it allows for us, not only us at, at State Street, but everybody in the marketplace to be able to start comparing performance of a company on a broader set of metrics, not just financial metrics. Rocky, I guess the next question is, how will State Street use this? And specifically, will State Street use its proxy voting power to take action to get companies to improve their ESG scores? And will the company actively require this of companies that you invest in and continue these discussions in the broader community? Yes. So the R factor is very much part of our creation of sustainable capital markets initiative that we started, much like our Fearless Girl initiative. And here we're going to be doing both, creating the push and the pull, right? So the push is really us holding companies accountable. And at this point, we started and we just announced this. Starting this proxy season, the 2020 proxy season, we're going to be we're going to be identifying companies who are the bottom performers within certain indices, and in the U.S., it's the S&P 500. And we're going to take voting action against the leading independent board member 
unless the company makes some commitment to improving disclosure and improving performance of ESG at the company. So we're willing to work with companies, but in the event that they do not agree with us or do not feel that they need to provide more information, we are going to be using our proxy vote to take voting action. We are also sharing these scores with companies, so companies can actually go to our website and apply for their score, and they'll get their score along with a peer average of their peers. It's private. We do not name and shame companies, so we're just actually sending it only to the companies, and we're not sharing other scores with them. And then on the investment side, Bloomberg and SASB chose to use our factor to power their indices. So there's a Bloomberg SASB index or indices that can be used by other investors to run money. If you're also developing many solutions using our factor and using that as the data to inform our solutions development. And that's the pull. Uh, for companies, and there's an incentive, there'll be money managed against it. So that's what how we, we intend to use our factor in our, within State Street Global Advisors. Rocky, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted more information about the ESG oversight framework or more information on State Street Global Advisors, where could they go? You can go to our website. I think the best way to find it is just go to Google and put our factor and State Street Global Advisors, and it takes you to the page. And there's a lot of information, including methodology, including the initiative, as well as how do you apply for your score. So Google, Bing it, whatever you want to do, and you will get the information. Rocky, I wanted to thank you again. I wanted to thank you personally for appearing on the podcast now multiple times, but also for State Street to really helping to lead the conversation around ESG and value creation. And quite frankly, I can't wait to see what you guys can come up with next. Thank you, Tom. It's always lovely being on your show. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.